This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. While the podcast takes a hiatus to prepare for our next big season, I wanted to share something special, a preview episode of a new upcoming podcast hosted by none other than the nation's doctor, Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy. I first had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Murthy in April of 2020 as he was launching his book, Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. Who knew it would resonate so much as the world locked down and social distancing measures were implemented? I talked with him about loneliness as a public health issue, including his own story about the mental and emotional impact isolation can have. Today, Dr. Murthy is giving our Next Question listeners a preview of his new podcast called House Calls with Dr. Vivek Murthy. So enjoy. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm so excited to be here with all of you taking over Next Question. My name is Vivek Murthy. I'm a doctor and serve as the current Surgeon General of the United States. Katie and her team have been kind enough to allow me to share the conversation I had with Padma Lakshmi on how we are looking at building more connection in 2022. Padma and I met in 2017 when I first served as U.S. Surgeon General during the Obama administration. I had the privilege of accompanying her uh, to film an episode of her hit Bravo cooking show, Top Chef. She has since added producer and host of Taste the Nation to her resume, and she has authored multiple cookbooks, a memoir, and a children's book, which is, by the way, something I dream of doing myself, Padma. I'm still still trying to get my wife on board with the idea of co-authoring a children's book, so we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so glad, Padma, that we're having this conversation today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Vivek. I'm so glad you are our Surgeon General again. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. I certainly feel honored to serve at a time like this, especially with the pandemic that we are going through. 
And speaking of the pandemic, uh, I just wanted to ask you how you are doing. It's been almost two years that we have been in this pandemic. How have you been throughout this last almost 24 months? Well, the headline, the biggest headline is that I'm very grateful. You know, I did have a couple of distant aunts who got ill and passed away who weren't old enough, in my opinion, to pass away. But for the most part, other than that, most of the people around me were healthy. I remained healthy. My own immediate family, uh, we are all good. Nobody got sick. We were vaccinated in a timely fashion. I was just boosted a few weeks ago. Um, my daughter is now of age and she's also been double vaxxed. So in large strokes, no complaints, just a lot of gratitude. Uh, but even if you didn't suffer job loss or the loss of a loved one, I think we've all gone through something quite profound, um, something together with the rest of the planet and specifically, of course, our country um, that has manifested in different ways for different people. And for me, I think it's, um, it caused just a lot of um, emotional fatigue and, and mental fatigue. I think I'm doing better now than I was a year ago, but I do think that I don't have the stamina or patience, the mental stamina or patience to deal with all of the extracurricular activities that I'm blessed enough to be invited to or asked to participate in uh, by virtue of uh, just my work or, you know, um, being in the public eye for so long. And, and I don't mind that, actually. But I do think that, you know, while a lot of us were still um, in a sort of stasis, for lack of a better word, for many, many months, it was certainly not restful. It was filled with anxiety. And I think collectively, we still have to deal with that mental duress and that anxiety and all of the attendant and additional things that many of us have faced, like, you know, uh, career change, office at home, loss of a loved one, homeschooling. How do we get our kids back on track? Um, you know, it's been two years. And so that is a very long time in the development of a child. And so not only how do we get them back to their quote unquote normal selves, but how do we make up for lost time or how do we address some of the issues that have come up because of COVID for them? Because I do think um, our children have suffered in a way that is very different from, from us. You know, as adults, you can sort of parse out, okay, this is one year of my life, this is two years of my life. But when you're nine or 10 years old, my daughter's almost 12, you know, 18 months is a heck of a long time in a person's yes. life. And, and, and it becomes hard to put it in perspective. It's made me intolerant. <laughs> COVID has made me intolerant of a lot of things like ch idle chit-chat or cocktail parties. Not good at those anymore. <laughs> um, you know, just getting dressed up and, and, and yeah. being more social. I mean, I, I do consider myself a very social person, but my circle has gotten smaller. Um, the, you know, all of those, all of the things that I do have gotten very focused. And I think that's good. I think there's some good that can come of that. Gosh, that's such an interesting point you mentioned, Padma, about, I mean, in some ways it sounds like you're talking about a reevaluation of your social life and your social engagement that's taken place. Some of it uh, perhaps unconscious, some of it intentional. 
uh, but all precipitated in a sense by this pandemic. A number of people either consciously or even just you know unintentionally are finding themselves going through a reckoning with their relationships, with their connection with one another, whether it's with family or with friends. And it's a really interesting time. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the book, Tomatoes for Nila, that you wrote, uh, a mm -hmm. children's book uh, about connecting with family through food and cooking. And so much of your work, whether it's the book or whether it's, you know, Taste the Nation, have been about finding ways for people to connect through food. And I'm curious, as you reflect on those experiences, particularly with Taste the Nation and just the beautiful stories that you've been weaving together uh, of different food traditions and how they bring us together. What have you learned about how we connect? And if we want to rebuild connection sort of in our life going forward, connections that truly matter, high quality connections in our life, like what lessons do you think COVID has to teach us? It's interesting, you know, you're right. I just got through saying that I have whittled down my relationships and, and you know, focused on the ones that really matter. And, you know, I am very lucky in that the first season of Taste the Nation was very well received, um, both by critics and just by the TV viewing public. And because the show really relies on intimacy and connection, that's the basic, you know, there's no bells and whistles to it. They're not you know, sweeping cinematic shots. We don't, you know, it's, it's really relies on that. You know, we couldn't film season two as soon as I'd like it to, you know, as soon as I'd like it to have done it. And, but I was anxious to get back to work because I didn't want the trail to go cold. And so we we're only able to do four episodes safely due to COVID. And I, as much as I was, um, reluctant to rekindle relationships that I didn't think were essential. I was so intent on getting back to work. Oh. Um, so I think that we do want connections. We just want meaningful connections. I think that is the difference. I think we're realizing that our time, our attention, our efforts are very precious, right? That's what we've all learned. And so we want to spend them wisely on things and people who really matter to us. And, you know, other than my child, there's nothing that matters to me more than Taste the Nation. It took me a long time to get it off the ground. And I will tell you the reason I think that Taste the Nation has resonated not only with our viewers, but with me so personally is because I have been able through that show to make really deep connections. I stay in touch with most of the participants of our show, I check in with them just to see how they are doing. I usually go and embed myself in a community for about a week um, and you know, meet different people from that community. And I will say that I think we're longing to understand each other better and to really have deeper, meaningful connections. And I do think that our country in the last five years has become so outrageously polarized in a way in that none of us thought possible in such a short span of time. And so I think for, for me, it's important to understand your fellow American or your fellow human being, even internationally. And it's important to, to make sure that when you, when you are making these connections, that you're really being affected by that person that you're being uh, changed in some way. Um, and I think people want that, you know, I think that's why the show had resonance uh, with viewers, but I also think 
if we're going to go out into the big world and, you know, leave our kids at home with a babysitter or, you know, make an effort and take a risk, you know, by getting on a subway or even going to a gathering, we want it to be a substantive conversation. We want it to be something that is just deeper than getting together and making that small talk. Gosh, there's so much you said there, which was very powerful, but in particular picking up on this thread around polarization uh, that mm-hmm. you mentioned, Padma. And, and I think that you're not alone in feeling the weight of that polarization, right? I, I, I've had so many conversations with people across the country in the last, not just in the last year, but even when I was Surgeon General uh, during the Obama administration, where people felt that there was just so much polarization in our country. and. And that makes everything difficult, right? It makes it hard for us to come together and take on big challenges, whether that's climate change, whether it's racial inequality, whether it's something like a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, how, how do we build those bonds of connection? And it's, it strikes me, there's a, a word you used uh, or a phrase, which is knowing each other, right? To connect with one another, we need to come to know each other. And how do we create those experiences? Because I think that would make it far less polarized, the environment that we're living in, and give us the kind of unity that we need to take on big challenges and to add joy to our Mm day-to-day life. What I think would be great is for every citizen to be required to do a month or six months work um, uh, stint uh, in community service. I really think that. Like, you know, a lot of countries have uh, mandatory military service. Um, I think we should do that. I think everybody, regardless of whether you are, you know, somebody at the top of uh, our economic echelons or somebody who's just at the bottom or starting out or in between should have to do some kind of municipal volunteer work for a period of time. I think that it gives you um, more of an understanding of what it's like. You know, I have a lot of my friends who are obviously chefs. They, they say everybody should work in the restaurant business. Everybody, you know, Danny Meyer says, I think everybody should be, uh, you know, have a job as a waitstaff member for just, because it does teach you humility. Mm -hmm. And um, I think humility is really important. I think, you know, anybody who's interested in going to med school should have to volunteer in your office for X amount of time, just to shadow people that are working in your department and to learn what that means. You know, I think, even if you want to be an actor, I, I think you should have to sweep the stage floor for a month and see what that feels like. So that, you know, if you do get the privilege of being an actor on a stage or in a movie, that you have respect for your crew members who are cleaning up after you. Um, I think part of that also is because in America, we are such a me focused culture. You know, the individual rights of a person are very much respected, et cetera, et cetera. So that has worked for us for a long time in a capitalistic society, but we've often lost sight of the we of it all in our society. And what we've seen with COVID is that regardless of how much you want to insulate yourself, we are still connected. It's not enough that my child is vaccinated. All of her classmates need to be vaccinated Mm -hmm. and all of her peers Um, in Brazil or China or, you know, sub-Saharan Africa need to also be vaccinated because she's sharing the world with them. And so we, you know, that's one thing COVID has taught us is that everybody needs to be vaccinated. Everybody 
needs uh, an equal opportunity to have a health-filled life and access to medicine and nutrition and and um, all of these things. And 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 you know we cannot live in silos. And I think doing that kind of thing, having to be in service and having to experience feeling no better or no worse than anybody else. You know, we all had to, we all had to stand in line at the DMV, right? We all had to go through driver's ed. I think there's, there's something to, we all have to, just like we all eventually have to go to jury duty. I think we should all have to do some kind of community service. It can be, you know, even cleaning up the park. It can be whatever. I think that would bring us closer to our connectedness in some way. You're listening to Next Question with Katie Couric, and we're sharing a preview episode of House Calls with Dr. Murthy. We'll be back right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome back. Once again, here's Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy speaking with food writer, producer, and activist Padma Lakshmi. I was wondering, given all of your experience in the food industry, can you tell us a little bit of just about what you're seeing in restaurants? Like, what are you seeing on the front lines in terms of the mental health and the well, economic well-being of workers? We're going through a revolutionary change, not only mm-hmm. in our economic system and society, but specifically in the restaurant business. Labor is uh, very hard to find. And I understand, you know, you get treated so badly as a uh, a waiter or waitress, it's it's really crazy how demanding people are and how they just somehow very mild-mannered, nice people somehow just lose their humanity 
when their steak isn't done exactly right or, you know, they're they're waiting a little too long for their next drink. And what's happening is that um, a lot of waitstaff don't want to come back to work. And so there are many establishments that are short on help. And I know that, um, you know, I have a friend of mine who owns a little bit of a restaurant here in the East Village and it's just her and her husband who run it with, you know, a few members of their staff. And, you know, she sent out a message on her Instagram account saying, hi, we're going to be closed tomorrow. And there's, I wish I could tell you we're having a special event. We just all need some rest. So we're going to take the day off. I need to have my staff rest. They deserve it. So mm-hmm. please don't come tomorrow, but please do remember us the day after and the day after that and so forth. It's really hard to find help. By the way, I've never had a restaurant, so I'm giving you all the information that was given to me by others. I just want to say that on the record. But people just don't understand how low the margins are in the restaurant business. And also, because of pandemic, all of the perishable foods that you buy in preparation to be ready to make any of the 25 items on a menu that you see go bad, you know, it's not like they're, you know, if it's a good restaurant, it's not like it's canned, you know, you can freeze meat, but some of it, and then you have labor costs, right? You have fixed costs. And then um, the margins are really, really low and the rents are really, really high. Hmm. So, um, you know, I know that in the last 20 years, chefs themselves have become, you know, celebrities or, you know, have this kind of rock star mythology, But the truth is that, you know, it's very few restaurants that actually do well and and make their chefs rich. You know, if they're if they're doing well, it's because they've got, you know, a lot of private events that they're doing uh, or they're writing books or they're appearing on shows like mine and things like that. It's not glamorous. You know, it's, it's really hard work. And let's face it, working in the restaurant business is manual labor. Now it's very creative. It has to do with science and business and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you're on your feet for 18 hours a day and your hours are terrible. They're when everyone else is congregating, doing lunch and dinner. So it becomes really hard to have a personal life. It becomes difficult to have a family, especially if if you're the one carrying the baby, which is why it's such a male-dominated industry. It's probably, you know, second only to the military in that aspect in our culture. Um, it's, It's really hard. I think also Americans, just like they expect, you know, to have all the freedoms they want and, and think about me, 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 not us. They also expect really large portions for really low prices. And we are not paying what we should be for milk and cheese because, or vegetables, because somebody had to go out at $4 an hour and without health insurance and pick that fruit and box it up and carry that heavy fruit crate on their shoulders or, you know, with a band. I mean, this stuff weighs like 50 pounds. And, you know, it was very, very hard. I think the separation between owners and laborers has just gotten too great. And I think something's got to give and that's what's happening now because it just becomes not worth working. Gosh, I mean, those are, that's heartbreaking uh, to hear. And, and I think you're, you're right. There's an economic cost, there's a human cost. And, and it's, I think it's very clear that for frontline workers in particular, that the 
toll of this pandemic on their mental health has been really uh, quite striking. I know you've spoken about mental health uh, mm-hmm. before at the beginning of this year uh, about some of your own challenges. I've certainly done that as well. Um, but I think we're both keenly aware of the fact that in our country and in cultures around the world, there's still a tremendous amount of stigma around mental health. And it's not easy for people to speak up, to ask for help uh, without feeling like somehow they're broken or they're at fault. Uh, I'm curious to how you see this changing, this stigma around mental health. Like, I think we both want a world in which our kids can talk about these issues more freely, where they can get help if they need it. Um, but I'm curious what you think will help change that stigma. I think that the pandemic has brought a lot of issues uh, to the fore that were always there regarding mental health, that it's just intensified and and brought it up to the surface in such an acute way. And, And that's because we've been, again, under such duress. But that's, you know, everything has a benefit if you look at it the right way. Somebody once very smart said that to me, and I've never forgotten it, especially at times when I've been you know, deeply challenged. And I was very challenged last year. I just felt really spent, mm-hmm. and I talked about it. I, 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 felt, I felt badly for my own issues, but I felt even worse that my daughter went through a lot because she's an only child, and, you know, like millions of children across this country, she felt isolated from her peers. You know, she didn't have siblings and we really sheltered in place uh, in a very remote area, you know, out in Long Island. And that was very hard for her. And so I think just talking about it and making it okay and um, not seeing it as a sign of weakness. You know, I think that's the thing. If you admit to having mental health issues, you're afraid that you are going to get somehow penalized for it, either uh, by your peers or by your colleagues, your family, or your, you know, especially by your employer. We have to talk about it with children. You know, I think we have to talk about it in health class. I think that's when you talk about it. You start young and you destigmatize it and you say, it's okay to ask for help. Asking for help is actually um, a strong action. You know, it's it's a sign of strength. Mm -hmm. I think it, it requires just a shift in focus in how we look at it and also in supporting each other. Um, I think that we need to, at a very micro local level, reach out to our, our circles, our friends, our neighbors, having those open channels. I mean, one, I, I heard somebody tell me that they started every meeting and it was a corporation. It was not, you know, it wasn't a, a friend circle or anything where they said, how are you feeling? You know, and and these were like, um, you know, all all hands meetings, like, you know, every Friday or every Monday. And they always started, I'm feeling like this. How are you feeling? And it was just an open forum for about the first 15, 20 minutes for everybody to talk about just how they were feeling. I'm feeling pressured because my daughter is getting married and I don't know how I'm going to do all this. I'm feeling pressured because my son is going to college and I really want him to get into a good college, but I also want him to be in a college where he's happy. Yeah. You know, studies have shown that the more vulnerable you are, um, the more empathy that you elicit in others. And hopefully by eliciting empathy in others, um, they'll be not only empathic, but be encouraged to talk about their own issues and you can return the favor as well. I think, I think that's really important. You know, 
the, another side effect of being polarized in our country is of not listening to each other. And I think we really, really need to listen to each other. And, and that's not happening um, often enough. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And that I want to just pick up on that, what you just said at the end there about listening, because listening is not only powerful, like you were saying, for helping us understand and connect with each other, but for people who are struggling in a moment, maybe they're feeling fatigued, maybe they're feeling like they don't belong, maybe they're feeling anxious or worried. Uh, just being able to have somebody who is willing to listen can be incredibly healing. And this is, I think, a, a part which uh, sometimes people underestimate because we think, oh, if someone's having mental health struggles, they need to see somebody who's a licensed health professional. But it turns out that simply it is our ability to show up and listen to someone, to be fully present for them, um, to listen without judgment, um, but to create a safe space for them. That in and of itself is incredibly healing. And when people are able to just express um, what they are feeling, that's half of the challenge. You don't have to fix your friend's problem, you know, all the time, your family member's problem if they're they come to you with their struggles, but knowing, making it clear to them that they're, you're somebody they can talk to and talk to when they're uh, when they're struggling and when they're having you know a wonderful time. But at all times, that itself is, is is so healing. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The subject about connection, I, I find just so important because I think it's how we're wired. But I think, you know, as human beings, like we, we're, you know, we may not all be introverts or extroverts, but we're all meant to have some degree of human connection in our life. Uh, but a lot of that connection starts... Uh, and is grounded in our connection to ourselves, you know, which I think of as how comfortable are we in our own skin? Like, do we feel good about who we are? And this is something that doesn't come easy to a lot of people. I can say that I'm certainly someone who certainly struggled a lot 
during my life to, to be comfortable in my own skin, to feel good about who I am. And that was especially true when I was a kid. I know that for you that there was uh, a time in high school where you considered changing your name and when I you experienced- I did change my name, yeah. yeah. I changed it for, for all of high school. I'm mortified by it now, but I did, yes. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> no, and look, I know that you were, you know, you were bullied. I, I went through a fair amount of years there where I was bullied also when I was in mm-hmm. middle school and elementary school. And those things leave a mark on you. Uh, yes, gosh, they, they, they really do. And uh, I'm still thinking about that today. And um, I'll tell you, I remember in particular, Padma, that one of the worst things that, the, that happened to me as a kid was when the movie Indiana Jones came out. Because that movie... Me too. Por- you too? Oh, my God. Its portrayal of, of India was just... was really quite terrible. And I had all of these kids in school for, like, years afterward thought that my family ate monkey brains and that we ate right. insects and all these things. And I was like, that's it's fine if someone does it, but that's not, not what we do. And, you know, it was sort of a constant source of, like, you know, ridicule and critique. Um, but with all that just said, like, you know, there are a lot of people who are struggling, kids and adults, to get comfortable in their own skin. And I, I'm curious, like, in your life, both in childhood when you were being bullied and then afterward as you sought to find your identity, what helped you persevere and what helped you find an identity that you were comfortable with? I mean, and I'm cognizant of the fact that you named your daughter Krishna, right? So you gave her a, a traditional name uh, as well, which meant that you felt comfortable embracing uh, that part of your identity. But I'm curious what helped you during those times of struggle. Interesting that you bring up Krishna's name because she's actually named after my grandfather, Krishnamurti. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I knew that whatever gender my child was, whenever I had my child, I wanted to name that child after him because he was a huge influence in my life. Both my grandmother and my grandfather, my paternal grandparents were like second parents to me. And he gave me a love of books and she gave me a love of cooking. So it's no accident that I do what I do. Um, You know, he very clearly, very early when my mother um, divorced my father, it was in the early seventies. We have been very, uh, arduous and almost impossible to have uh, a normal life in South India as a divorced parent. So, you know, we took the decision as a family to move to America. And my grandfather uh, took me aside. And I remember I was four. He made me memorize all of the states of the country of the United States in alphabetical order. I don't think I could do it today. Um, And he was a he was a, you know, a lover of all things American, you know, Mm. from um, Broadway musicals to baseball to, you know, Hollywood movies to Yankee commercials, you know, all of that stuff. And um, he told me, he said, you will be treated like an, uh, an outsider there always, regardless of how much you assimilate. Hmm. And, you know, make sure you're okay with that. It's not their fault. They don't know any better. And then over time, you will also be treated as an outsider when you come home to us. And I came home all the time. I mean, I was home three months out of every year from kindergarten to high school. I went back to um, Chennai and he said, but what you have to do is be choosy enough and understand that what's difficult now will be better later because it'll give you two points of view. Hmm. And if you can be choosy, and navigate that and keep what's best and useful about our Indian culture and maintain that even in America 
and take some of the wonderful things about American culture, like standing up for yourself and knowing how to talk well and articulately and all these things and using that when you come home, then you'll be okay. And I do think it was very hard to straddle both cultures when I was growing up. Um, and I did. I felt like an outsider in both America and India, you know, never Indian enough in India, never American enough in America. But I think that now as I've grown into myself and, I, you know, I'm 51 years old, I don't think I grew into myself until 10 years ago, by the way. Um, I can see how what was difficult then and challenging then actually makes me hopefully a more broad minded person or at least gives me double the resources from which to answer questions, you know, so I live in New York, but as you know, because you've been to my home, we, you know, we remove our shoes before we come into the home. Um, you know, there are very, very many things in the way that I'm, I parent that are very, very Eastern or Asian. And then in a lot of ways that I'm very lax, you know, because I'm not traditionally Asian anymore. I'm an American. I grew up here, you know, and I think having both cultures to call from is an asset when you realize it. It doesn't always seem like one, especially when you're a kid, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my grandfather, for example, he was offered a position as an ambassador by the Indian government, but he didn't want to take it because he said he didn't want to have to entertain as an ambassador and cook meat in his house. You know, he's a lacto-vegetarian. And, and so that decision didn't feel right for him, but he had the understanding of, you know, certain roles require you to bend um, to certain aspects of fulfilling those roles well. And I think it's important to know that. I think, you know, we all have to really just slow down. And when we're doing things, make sure we're doing them deeply and thoughtfully and for a purpose. You know, so that it's worth it. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much in what you said that speaks to me, not just as, you know, someone who, like you, shares an Indian uh, mm -hmm. background and heritage and grappled with a lot of those identity issues. But I think for most people, as they're going through life, whether they're struggling with trying to meld two cultures or trying to find their own way in a world that's dominated by people who may not be like them or share their points of view, um, there's a process that, by which we have to grow into our own skin, if you will. And I often tell students that one of the most important subjects that we study is ourselves, uh, getting to know ourselves and understand who we are, what we care about, understand like why we react the way we do to certain things. Uh, that helps us navigate the world. But I still feel like I'm finding my own journey, you know, there as well. You know, sometimes I feel like you know, comfortable in my own skin, and then something will happen. You know, the universe uh, sometimes humbles you, you know, and makes you realize, huh, you've still got more growing to do. Uh, and that certainly has happened with me. Um, but I, I'm just, you know, as we bring our conversation to a close, I'm I'm thinking about your our shared role as parents also. And, you know, I know how dearly you love Krishna and how she's the most important person in the world to you. And I feel, you know, the same way about my, my two children, Tejas and Shanti, who are five and almost four. Um, and I think a lot about what I want for them in the world, you know, and uh, and I want to do everything I can to create that world for them, uh, recognizing that everything is not in my control. But as you think about the world that you want for Krishna, um, what does that world look like? And what gives you hope uh, that we can create that world? 
I do still have a lot of hope that we can work toward a better society because uh, the thing that separates us from all other living creatures is our ability to reason and have a conscience and, and have empathy. You know, I think I want a world in which uh, everybody has access to equal opportunity. When you see the discrepancies in education and how segregated, for example, you know, New York City, which is such a diverse place, it's one of the most diverse places on the planet. But when you look at our education system and you look at the different schools in New York, there's so much segregation. I think it's the most segregated major city in the country. And that just shouldn't be because it's obvious that the child that's going to one school is not getting anywhere near the education that another child is going to another school. And I think that we have to level the playing field and we have to see it not as charity. We have to see it as an investment in our own future and our children's future. Because again, we share the roads and the hospitals and the world and the skies and the streams and the water and you know the air we breathe with each other. And so we have to share that responsibility as well with each other. Um, I think we have to wrap our heads and I hope we do. We're such a consumer focused society. Um, you know, that, that some, we don't need so many things. What we need are better conditions for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of unhappiness um, that has been exacerbated because of COVID because people are seeing how unequal the world is. And, you know, it's very unequal just based on your gender. It's, you know, very unequal based on the color of your skin. It's very unequal based on how much your parents make or whether you have a college degree. And um, all jobs are important. Everyone has a role to play. You know, when we were little, we all watched Sesame Street and you had the fireman and the doctor and the chef and the school teacher and the scientist. Um, and, and they were all kind of, who are the people in your neighborhood? You know, <laughs> we didn't say, well, these are the important people and these are the ones who should, right. you know, have access to getting their kids into private school and all that. Um, I think that's really important. I think when I talk to Krishna about what her hopes and dreams are, I try to leave gender out of it. You know, she will have a much easier time for a whole host of reasons than I did, not only economically because of the resources she has access to, but also because she presents as a Caucasian child, you know, and, and that will just make her life easier. But I try to always instill in her what, you know, my grandfather instilled in me, which is when you go to sleep today and for you, you're a child. So all you have to do is learn. You don't have to actually do anything. That's your main job to learn. You know, have you learned something today that you didn't know this morning? Or if you're an adult, have you done something today um, to make your presence um, on earth, this course of this, just this one day more worthwhile? You know, it can be anything. It can be you know, seeing somebody drop something and picking the, it up and running and say, hey, you dropped your hat, or helping someone across the street. If you can just make a commitment to do one random act of kindness or helping a colleague or whatever, that, however that looks to you. You know, we have lost the respect for everyone's effort. Somehow we aren't considering everyone's effort. And even, you know, even just the children's book, Tomatoes for Nila, 
is about stopping and respecting where a tomato comes from, who picks that tomato, and what are the conditions of their life and their work, and why we have to remember where that tomato came from, you know, where it first grew, how do we cook it, how do we bring it home, how do we make sure we're only buying it in season, how we take care um, of everything we do and how we cook that tomato to put it something in our body because we respect our body, we respect our own efforts. It has to do with slowing down and being really mindful and thoughtful about everything we do and everything we say. Things we were probably all taught when we were five or six, but have lost sight of because the world has begun to spin somehow ever faster. God, that's so beautifully said, Padma. And what a beautiful vision for the world, for Krishna, for all of our children uh, to aspire to. I share your sense of hope that we can build that world because I, I think it requires not transforming into someone that we're not. Mm-hmm. I think it's fundamentally who we are. This is about remembering what our true instincts are. And I think our true instincts are to be loving and kind toward one another. I think over the years, circumstances make us fearful uh, and angry toward one another. It makes us feel that you know life is uh, about scarcity and that what we get uh, or what somebody else gets is something that's being taken away from us. Um, but I think that that does a disservice to our history and to our true nature, which is, I think, to be more kind and more connected with one another. And this vision, every so much of what we've talked about today has been about connection. And I think mm-hmm. that the pandemic has, I think, as you said, I think so eloquently in the beginning, the pandemic has reminded us of why that connection is so important, uh, because we can't get through our days, much less a pandemic, uh, without the help of somebody else. Um, and finally, when I think about my kids too, I want for them what, what you want for Krishna. I want a world that is fueled by love and kindness, not by fear and anger. I want mm-hmm. for them to grow up in a community where people accept them for who they are uh, and where people ask questions before they judge them uh, or blame them. And I want my kids to be the same toward other people, to give them the benefit of the doubt and to contribute to that sort of world grounded in compassion and care. Um, so I think we can get there. I mean, I think it starts with getting to know one another, with taking time to pause in our incredibly fast-paced lives and ask ourselves that bigger question the pandemic has forced, which is what matters truly to yes. our happiness? What's really meaningful in our relationships? What do we really want out of life? So I'm so grateful that we had this conversation, Padma. Uh, whenever we have a chance to talk to one another, you always teach me things, but also make me think about the world in in deeper ways. And so I so appreciate you and everything you're doing in the world right now. Oh, thank you so much. You know, even with anger, I think we're all, there's a lot of anger in the world, but I think one thing to remember when you encounter anger is that anger is just pain with nowhere to go. Hmm. And sometimes just acknowledging that we're all hurting um, and that this person is angry because they've been hurt in some way you know, whether that's been intentional or not, that is, that is the, the effect of what something that's happened to them has done to them. And so just remembering that and, and just saying, I'm not going to add to that. You know, even if they're adding to my own plate of anger, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be the one to break that cycle if possible. Um, and often it does just take some thoughtfulness. It really does. It's, um, we look at the beautiful world humankind has already created. You know, we are capable of so much good. 
we're also capable of, uh, you know, tearing each other apart, but let's use our forces and power for good. We deserve it and we need it. Absolutely. Well, beautifully said, and what an inspiring note to end on Padma. Thank you so much uh, for this conversation. I'm sending my love to you and to Krishna. Thank you. Uh, and, and to your family also. It's so nice to speak with you again, Vivek. I wish you much success in the years to come in your new or renewed job as Surgeon, Surgeon General. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks again so much. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.